looking for rainbows or looking for rain, looking for a thunder or looking for a dark day, looking for a sunny day. Let's make a choice to walk down the sunny side of the street today and remember that's your choice. Welcome aboard, me hearties. Welcome aboard for those of you who prefer to be in the Navy and for those of you who prefer to be pirates. This is Jim Meyer, and this is Fishing Without Bait. This is the laboratory. This is the kitchen where we help you prepare and create your life and take whatever ingredients you care and choose to off the shelf. And sometimes, remember, we have to find those ingredients. We may have to find them, and that may require an adventure. That may require going down the rabbit hole, going places where we haven't been before. Let's have some fear. We're looking to create ourselves. We're not looking to find ourselves. So we combine the ingredients of synchronous and serendipity, and we put in a dash of honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. Jump on board, grab a paddle, let's get on that pirate ship or in the Navy, cross the sea. Remember, as Christopher Columbus said, you can't cross the ocean unless you have the courage to leave the shore. Welcome aboard. Today, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, co-host, and producer of this program, Mr. Mike. You've kind of reinvigorated me in getting involved into uh, the world of comics again. Oh, have I? Indeed, you have. have. I, I mean, you're already uh, here on recording day. Uh, uh, typically, you've got a great Superman shirt. You talk about it all the time. I, 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 I'm happy to hear that. Yes, you've uh, you've renewed my interest. Mm-hmm. You've uh, you renewed my spark. And quite often, when it seems like when they run out of a storyline or things get a little stale, they go back to an origin story. Do they not? Indeed, they, they they reinvent things. Indeed. So, however, I was thinking as this is our 60th podcast, uh, I was thinking not that we're becoming stale or out of date. In fact, I believe we're picking up steam, getting into fully impacting people's life, spreading those wings, getting out of that darkness and spreading technicolor into your life, participating in grabbing life. I thought that people might want to be interested in what kitchen was I brewed in? Where did Where did these ideas ferment? Where did they, how long have they been hidden? When did they come out and how how did they occur? What crucible, what heat that made that steel that is talking to you right now? I was born in a small town uh, in western Pennsylvania. And at one time uh, in the early 1900s, I was born in Catanning, PA. The coal mines in the area were going strong. There was a strong manufacturing base in the area. The brick plant employed several hundred men. And in a neighboring town, the Elger Company was booming. The Elger Company made porcelain bathroom fixtures. And the largest employer in the area was Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company. And at one time before World War II, it was the largest glass producer in the world. Sadly, the coal mines have suffered. The Pittsburgh Plate Company and the Elger Company is now only a grass field. So it was in this environment back in 1954 that I was born. And it wasn't until my teenage years that I figured out that I was a surprise. My parents were married in February of 1954. I was born in September of 1954, and however, I was not premature. I remember my early days as being very happy ones. My father owned a tavern in West Catanning, which may have been a precursor of my later years, and he and my mother spent long hours there. I spent most of these early years with my paternal grandparents, Julio and Isabel Zanke. My pop, as I called him, was a naturalized citizen. He came to America from Italy when he was 14 years old. He was a coal miner working for the Allegheny River Mining Company in Cadogan, a small town about eight miles west of Catanning. I remember being taken to the company store run by a fellow named Sam Kettering when I was just a tot. I thought it was great. You could get anything you wanted there just by signing your name. 
What I didn't know was that it came out of my pop's paycheck at the end of the month. There were many months that I found out later that he owned the company store more than he made. I particularly remember the two-cent popsicles at the gas station next to the store. My grandfather was an avid hunter and owned a camp outside of Siegel, Pennsylvania, about 15 miles south of Cook's Forest. We spent almost every weekend there in the forest. There was a big black bear that lived about 100 yards from the camp. If you got up early enough, you could see him saunter across the backyard. I can still smell the eggs and bacon cooking in butter on the wood stove that heated the entire camp. There was no indoor plumbing in the cabin, so you had to use the outhouse. I was very little at the time and always had a fear of falling in the hole. That was the seat. Being afraid of the dark, my grandmother, who everyone called Nan, would take me outside to the bathroom when nature called in the middle of the night. One of the saddest days of my life occurred in August of 1961. My Nan and I were in Florida visiting her relatives in Fort Lauderdale. I remember being roused in the middle of the night and hustled to the airport. Upon landing in Pittsburgh, we were greeted by my father's brother, Tommy. It was then that I learned my pop had been killed in a mining accident. Being six at the time, I was very confused about the whole situation. I knew that my mother and Nan were very sad. It was explained to me that my pop had gone away and would not be coming back. However, I knew better. Having a dog that died, I figured out that my pop was dead. My mother was extremely close to her father and suffered a long bout of depression, which finally lifted when she had my sister, Julie, who was named after my pop. When the tavern my father owned was robbed, he figured it was too dangerous a business to own. My paternal grandfather used his influence to get my father appointed postmaster of Catanning. My grandfather, James, played a prominent role in my life in the narrative of Catanning. He was a third-generation American, James William Patrick Joseph Ellermeyer Sr. was born in Catanning in 1900, the Charles B. and Margaret Ellermeyer. I remember his brother, my uncle, Charles Chick, owned a beer distributor on South Jefferson Street in Catanning. The smell of stale beer would assault my nostrils every time my father and I would stop to see him. At the time, it made me sick to my stomach. Little did I know at that time that that's the way I would smell every morning for years. Charles Sr. had built a large brick home on South McCain Street for his mother. Eva Crone Ellermeyer. Eva had married my great-great-grandfather, Albert, in 1862. There is a chest of drawers made by him sitting in my spare bedroom. He was a cabinet maker my trade. I do have the trunk that Eva used to bring her away from Germany to the United States. My family are pack rats. They never threw away anything. Every time I wanted to get rid of something in the basement or attic, my father would tell me, just try to find one of those things today. We might need it in the future. South McCain Street must have been a lively place, along with my grandfather, his brother Chick, and his mother and father, his Uncle William, Uncle Billy Ellermeyer, lived with him. Billy and his brother Charles were partners in the family business. They had bought two farms outside of Catanning in the early 1900s at a partition sale. One of the concerns that my great-grandfather and his brother ran was a butcher shop located on, on South Jefferson Street in Catanning. Billy would often travel to Chicago to purchase carloads of cattle to bring back to Catanning. He would disembark from the train station and drive the herd up the West Catanning Hill to the farms I can imagine those days now. They were farms called the Blair and the Hoover Farm. They were named after the original owners of the property, and I have in my possession the original deed written on sheepskin to the Hoover Farm. However, talking about the crucible, talking about the environment in which you were raised, and generational transmission, modeling behavior, my grandfather was possibly the finest human being I have ever known. His kindness and generosity were legendary. I've been told that during the Depression, he fed half the town from the butcher shop, and a predominantly... Republican town. He held the only office held by a Democrat, being elected tax collector for 24 straight years. Many of the older families in Catanning owed their homes to him. 
He would often pay their tax bills when times were desperate during the late 20s and early 30s. My grandmother's brother had issues with alcohol, and when his wife died, my grandfather took in his three children and raised them as his own. I have a picture of my grandfather standing on a podium in front of the Catanning Courthouse introducing John F. Kennedy when he visited Catanning in his 1960 campaign for president. My mother still talks of that day with awe, having lunch with the future president of the United States. This did not phase my grandfather at all. He could just as easily shake hands with a vagrant as the president and was just as happy. Every holiday, all my aunts and uncles and cousins would gather with my grandfather and grandmother, who all of us called Mimi, to celebrate. Christmas was a special occasion. The families would gather at his house to celebrate. He would have gifts for every grandchild, all 21 of us. I still have many of the presents he gave me, particularly a huge random house dictionary. I believe he expected me to be a scholar. He valued education, sending all of his children to college with the exception of my father who refused to attend. He was stubborn as he was stoic. Every single person in town either knew my grandfather or of him. I never heard a bad word about him. During my year time of troubles when I did drink alcohol, I couldn't buy a drink in Catanning after they found out who I was related. I have to smile every time I think about him. I still remember him rounding up me and my cousins and taking us to funeral homes to be mourners when he thought the deceased wouldn't have anyone there. Can you imagine that? He, he, he would think so much of people that if nobody would be there except like the mother or father, he would have, he would have us dress up and we would go to the funeral home and sit. Unbelievable. I thought so much of him that I named my son James William Patrick Joseph Ellermeyer IV. I was the first male of the fifth generation to carry on the Ellermeyer name. To my grandfather, this was a big deal, as he came from a male-dominated society. I have read some of my great-aunt's diaries. They would not make a decision without consulting their brother. My great-grandfather, Charles. He would often travel to Pittsburgh once a month to write checks for them to pay their bills. All the deeds to the land stayed in the names of the males. They never added their wives to the deeds after they married. They were afraid of them dying, and their wives would remarry, and the land would pass out of the Ellermeyer name. His youngest son, my Uncle Tommy, was killed in an automobile accident coming home from college when he was 22 years old. I attribute my grandfather's early death to Tommy's passing. He and my grandmother never recovered from the shock, and I do not believe they ever had another happy day. I was eight at the time, and my father would often send me to their house to keep them company. My grandfather died in 1968 at the age of 68. It was front page news in a local paper. I was 14 and a pallbearer at his funeral. You talk about generational transmission, about generosity and kind. My grandfather gave a considerable amount of his money away. My great-great-grandfather, Charles, and Billy, who was his brother, they bought all these farms, and they had a big butcher shop, and they made a lot of money. Okay, but my grandfather gave a lot of it away. They also had two other brothers by the name of Harry and uh, Ed. Ed died of alcoholism. He died of the DTs. So Harry, they had three stuff. I've got, I've got the picture. They had a big store, like a department store. It sold everything in downtown Catanning. And there, I have a picture of Harry, Albert, and Ed standing in front of the store. Harry, Harry ran the store. Harry Ellermeyer. Actually, he he started the Catanning Country Club during the Depression. Harry Ellermeyer had given had sold a lot of things on credit. Okay, and after the depression came, people lost their jobs and they couldn't make the payments on their on the merchandise that they bought on the sofas and the chairs and whatever that they bought. And they would come in and they'd say, "Mr. Ellermeyer, I kept these things very nice. I can't pay for them. I return them." So uh, his heart was broken from people having to do that. He put in the paper. He had a big legal notice. He said, "This is from Harry Ellermeyer. All debts, both personal and business, are forgiven." He forgave all the debts that he had, and it ruined him. It ruined him financially. The banks weren't as generous as, as my Uncle Harry. 
and he lived the rest of his life with with Charles, my uncle, his brother. He took care of him. Amazing, huh? Amazing. He didn't care about being the richest man in the cemetery. He might have been the best man there. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Faith, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without faith. Fishing Without Bait is a production of Namaste Holistic Counseling, BC.